Now those are the two like main ones that the scientists know about right now that play a larger role in pain, but there's others being, you know, researched and all that. Mm-hmm. Now, with the sciencey part of it, we're going to talk about the Lego part of it. Now these little minions are made out of ABS plastic, which I learned is a tear polymer, and this particular plastic is made out of three monomers. One of them is acrylonitrate, or I pronounced that wrong, acrylonitrile, and it's (laughs) there to give the plastic strength. Now the 1,3-betadine is there to give it resistance from snapping, and then styrene is there to give it that shininess. So, you know, with all three powers combined... (laughs) Oh, Jesus. (laughs) All of it basically means that Legos are designed to not give way under pressure, especially from the bottom of our soft, sensitive feet. (laughs) Oh, jeez, so it's just a knife going right into the soft underbelly of your feet. Yeah, like, there's nothing there to give way, so it's just cramming up into the bottom of your foot, which makes those A-delta fibers just scream to your brain. (laughs) So that's why it hurts so bad. (laughs) That's really interesting. Some of the science went right over my head, but it was really interesting to hear. I know, I I had to go through there and, like, replay the video a couple times, because I was like, the what fiber does the what? (laughs) Yeah. So there's some science behind that, and we can link the YouTube video to our Tumblr page later so that, you know, the listeners can watch the video for themselves. It's really interesting, and they keep it down to, like, a four-minute minimum, so, you know, you're not totally bored sitting there watching, like, 30 minutes of him talking about the fibers in your feet. Yeah. I know that, uh, yeah, just, just a heads up for anyone listening. Any articles that we reference, uh, most books or media that we reference will try and provide a link as much as possible through our Tumblr page. Yeah, we want to give, you know, credit where credit is due. Exactly. So, uh, in gaming and tech news, I, I picked something that wasn't, it isn't big, it's not huge and exciting, but it definitely caught my interest. Uh, for, for a while now, I've been really interested in uh, Alan Turing's story. actually been named like the father of modern technology because of what he did with Enigma and for those of you who don't know about Alan Turing uh, he was a professor and I think he was in Cambridge I'm not sure uh, I didn't do my study up on his history I just did the studying up on the game uh, but as kind of some background for why I picked this game uh, Alan Turing helped crack the German Enigma, which was a very serious code that allowed Nazi Germany to exchange battle plans and secret messages uh, across the radio, and anyone could pick up the code, but nobody knew what it was saying, because it was so thoroughly encoded, and because they changed the code on a daily basis, so they only ever had 24 hours to crack the code. And every morning they would have to start over, and the codes never repeated. So, Alan Turing built this huge machine that could run multiple codes multiple days, and it ended up that through a joke at a bar from this girl, that it all the only German you needed to know to be able to crack the code was Heil Hitler. And they typed that into the machine, and it lined up all the other words in the code based on those two words. 
machine that he made, he named it Christopher, uh, it went on, he actually saved it, he was supposed to destroy it after the war, but he saved it, and computers afterwards, the next basis for computers, were named Turing machines, which those models would go on to build digital computers. And he's a huge part of history because of what he did, and just a little thing I'm going to throw in there, he plays a huge part in LGBT history. So that that's what had me interested. But back to the game, Square Enix Collective is releasing a game called The Turing Test, which is based on an essay he wrote before the Enigma that discusses uh, the fact that who you're talking to, if you open up the Turing test, like if you decide to administer the Turing test, then you can decide whether or not what you're talking to is a human or a computer. And uh, they're making a game based on that kind of philosophy. It's another um, sci-fi space type game where humanity sent uh, a mission out to Europa, one of the moons I think around Jupiter, and there was, there was life there, but humanity became scared of the life there, even though it wasn't violent, and you play through puzzles from the point of view of humans, you play through it as uh, artificially intelligent machines, and you manipulate uh, complex machinery, and it's all, it all operates under the philosophy of the, the Turing test. So I'm really excited. It should be, uh, they're aiming for a release in August on PC and Xbox One. So I feel like the background knowledge on that was a little bit necessary to understand the impact of the philosophy. Oh yeah, definitely, because you hear like Turing test and you're not going to know what that means unless you have, you know, an understanding of where it came from, the history. Yeah, and the man who made it, you have to understand how brilliant he was to have created this kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just, this man was brilliant, and he played such a huge role. The, for those who don't know, because he broke the Nazi enigma, he ended up saving millions of lives for, for stopping the war. I think he stopped it almost over a year in advance, I think it was. Yeah, so he was an amazing person who did a great thing. Exactly, and I, I love that the influence that he had on history has carried over into so much culture nowadays that goes kind of unseen. So whenever I saw the name of it, I'm like, oh, I have to read about this. This is going to be really interesting. So I'm really excited for it to come out whenever it does. And uh, I will post the article that I found it on through Game Informer to the Tumblr, and mm -hmm. it has the announcement trailer linked to it. Nice. Yeah. So, you want to segue into our main discussion, Alexis? Sounds good to me. Since I kind of ranted for a minute there. <laughs> no, you're fine. Sorry, it's my, one of my favorite parts of history. Yeah, I mean, he's really interesting. I... I found him interesting as well, you know, especially with his invention. Like, it led to the modern computers that we're recording on today, like... Exactly. He had a lot of influence on the culture that we know today, and nobody really knows who he is, so... Yeah. I just... And, and for anyone who's wanting to look into more of the, the history of it, and doesn't want to do extensive reading, there's a brilliant movie that came out called uh, The Imitation Game, which is all about... 
incentive in itself. Yeah. That's actually what drew me to the movie in the first place, and that's how I ended up learning all about it. I went and researched after I saw the movie and was fascinated. Yeah. I mean, he's a fantastic actor, and he does a really good job, I think, at portraying everything, so it's a good movie. You know, deserves a little watch. Yeah. Alright, so the, the main topic today is uh, geek culture, the problems with it, but we're we're going to center a little bit more around women in geek culture and uh, how that's gone through the years. So, uh, we're going to we're going to start with an article that one of my close friends Claire Landry wrote for the Odyssey. We will be linking that both in the description for this podcast and on the Tumblr. And uh, it's titled Three Reasons Why Girls Feel Alien- Alienated in Geek Culture. So, and I think the first point Alexis should take because it kind of also ties in with the Hawkeye Initiative. <laughs> Alright, Hawkeye Initiative is one of my absolute favorite parts of geek culture. What it is, is unlike comic books, how you see women being drawn in ridiculous poses, how it looks like their backs are breaking just so they can show off like their butt or any other feature you know, that is sexualized and, yeah. but then they take those comic covers and then they redraw them as Hawkeye to show how ridiculous they are yeah. and there are so many good examples on the internet, like just a quick google search of Hawkeye initiative will bring you up just fantastic examples that I... It, very fun to browse. Oh, it's wonderful. But, uh, the whole point is that through video game culture, even in the beginning, whenever it was pixelated, you know, mm-hmm. uh, women, women in video gaming have been hypersexualized from the beginning. And part, part of this is because of the people who were making it. They didn't really see women getting into this culture. It was very much a male-centric thing. And uh, as soon as women started jumping into it, nothing changed. It got worse. It just it got worse and worse and worse. Uh, but there's a st- statistic on here. According to GeekWire, 47% of gamers are female and women over the age of 18 and are the largest growing demographic. So... So having them just discriminated and, you know, people, women feel uncomfortable, you know, seeing characters being hypersexualized. So I think it would be really beneficial if women were integrated, you know, like if they were more accepted in the culture. Exactly. And then uh, the, the other thing that ends up being portrayed across is that geek girls aren't real. Is that they're they're the fake geek girl, the trope of it, you know that um, that some pretty girl will only dress up for the attention, who will only wear the the Deadpool shirt for attention, or you know what I mean? Yeah, like the gatekeeper concept, basically, where it's like, oh, you like Deadpool? What's his um, full background story? Did you know that he was Canadian and all this other crap, you know? It's like you have to prove that you're a geek, you know? Like, that you have to be this super fan to be like, oh, yes, I'm a girl and I like this, you know? Guys don't get that kind of treatment. Yeah. It's just... 
Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) No, it's okay. I kind of cut you off, too. No, like, the geek culture is so inclusive, and there's a difference between being a legitimate jerk and and being inclusive, you know? If somebody wants genuinely to get into something, then the best thing to do is to encourage it, you know? Don't shoot them down for it. You're not benefiting anyone in that sense. So, and this this carries over in so many things. Like, I think the the coolest thing I saw that was really really neat was that Miyazaki he he always has a theme with his films, but with Spirited Away he did something special. He saw that in the media, at least in Japan, that there wasn't enough media targeted to young females. It was either always hypersexualized, or the girls were always into boys. They didn't have any development. So, he decided to make a movie where the girl is lanky. She's awkward. She's she's not some teenager. She's like 11 years old. And she has to face difficult things. It's, it is fantastical, but the issues that she deals with internally are serious. They're they're very serious things, and so uh, it takes on a, an approach that no one else has in the past. So yeah, I even read an article about the one um, one of his movies called Spirited Away, and it brought up a lot of the culture around like the bathhouses and stuff, how mm-hmm. young girls would be sold into it. And basically, yeah. like, prostituted, and that's what was shown with, um, No-Face, whenever he was trying to give her the money, and she was telling him no, and also how, like, in culture, sort of, how strippers will change their name to, like, Candy or whatever, her name was also changed in the movie. I don't remember exactly what it was. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's actually a, a video I might link later that's, uh, I think it's, like, 102 things that you didn't know about Spirited Away, and they talk a lot about the symbolism of the names and, and detailing the details of, like, you know, the bathhouse theme. Like, they translate yeah. a lot. But, yeah, like, even more so, not just women, but I want to go back to the gatekeeper mentality. Me and Robert were actually talking about this last night. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna confess something. I've never played a single Pokemon game in my life. I own one, and I've been scared to start it. Because there's such a gatekeeper mentality with the Pokemon community. So, it's the fact of, if I want to talk about something in the game, I feel like I'm going to be shot down, or overshadowed, or what, what have you been doing all this time? Why haven't you ever played one, you're not a true fan, but the thing is I grew up with the show, I grew up with the card game, but I never had an interest in playing it until I got older. Yeah, so then it'll be like, oh, you're not a true Pokemon fan, you know, you haven't played it since you were five or whatever, you know. Or it's like, you don't do do uh, EV training with your Pokemon, or you haven't even found a shiny, what's wrong with you, you know? It's like, I know yeah. of these things, but I, I don't know the complexities of the game because I feel like I'm so far behind. And I mean, I'm I'm almost in the same boat as you. Like, I wasn't super into Pokemon as a kid. Like, I remember playing the Nintendo 64 game for it. And, you know, we would have battles and stuff, but I never really 
memorize the name of all 150 originals or like, you know, I didn't memorize all their stats. I just played it because I thought it was fun, you know? And there was no pressure on me having to learn all that. Exactly. And I feel like there is a pressure now because there's so much complexity to the game series that anyone who's coming in late into the game feels a little alienated about it. Because, and I'm not going to name anyone, but I, I did have a friend that when I was first considering getting into the games, I I talked about, you know, yeah, I don't know what I would do, you know, which starter I would pick or anything, but, uh, and he immediately started rambling off, well, if you chose this, like, well, what attack would you use? I'm like, well, I think I would use this, and he's like, well, why would you use this if you could do this? And like, just hammering down on me, I'm like, look, I've never played the games, I'm trying to think logically, and it's like, I'm here to have fun with it, I'm not here to you know, make it into a chore almost, having to like, strategize every time you turn on the game. Exactly, and it's just, it feels like, and and I know this person is very, very, very into, into it competitively. He's played it for a long time, so he's into the strategic side of it. He's played it, played some of the games multiple times, so he can understand these complex sides of the game. But when I, like, I'm going to start the new game, the, the newer game tonight. I have, uh, white version 2. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to start it tonight because I've got nothing else to do. But, <laughs> it's a fact of, I feel hesitant to talk to people who are very, very into the game because I feel like they would have that almost elitist mentality. Yeah, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with strategizing or getting really into the game. Like, there's nothing wrong with enjoying it. It's just those that are trying to make you feel bad about not knowing all of the different aspects to the game, you know? Like, trying to talk you down or be like, they're more superior to you if they know more about the specifics of it. Exactly. And that's what kind of shies me away from starting new things, is that I feel like... I'm so late to the game that someone's going to be like, well, you're not a real fan. You haven't been around for years into this. You haven't actually done these things. And it's like, I want to I want to be able to talk about this with someone who has gotten into the game for years, but is not going to judge me, who's going to sit down and be like, you know, if you're trying to do this, you may want to try doing this, you know? Or, have you done this? Okay, well, maybe you should do this first and then try this, you know? Maybe have a guiding hand, like, I'm not asking someone to, like, babysit me through the game, but I'm, I'm just, like, if you have questions, that they can help, exactly, I'm asking for a more inclusive community, is what I'm asking for, yeah, a more understanding to newer, newer people to the games, exactly, and this is inclusive of so many cultures, you know, or subcultures in, in the gaming cultures, and in the geek cultures, that's like, I was telling Robert, like, if he up and decided to start watching Lord of the Rings tomorrow, which, he's never seen them, I'm gonna fix that soon, um, <laughs> then I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect him to sit there and understand everything that happened in the Silmarillion, or understand things that happened in the book that weren't in the movies, like, it would be the same thing if he, he went and talked to one of my other friends who's read almost all of Tol- Tolkien's collective literature about this and then hounded him about it. It's like, no, that's that's not right. Yes, Lord of the Rings has been out for years and there's ex- 
extensive, extensive material for it, but you can't expect someone to sit there and, and start enjoying something and then know everything about it, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, if that's their first time ever watching it or ever reading the books, you know, it's not fair to put all of your prior knowledge against them that's just starting to enjoy it. And if you do that, you might drop that person away from really liking something that they could have really enjoyed. You know, maybe they could have started reading all of the different theories to it, and then you two could have had, like, a mutual interest. Exactly. The only thing you're doing by by having the gatekeeper mentality towards anyone else in the geek culture is you're you're dissuading them from ever wanting to try something new. You're dissuading them from ever wanting to join another fandom. And it's it's gonna make geek culture a lot less enjoyable. And that's that's the last thing you wanna do in geek culture. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to have this sort of elitist attitude where anytime anyone tries to get into your fandom that hasn't been around for years, especially if it's, like, an older fandom, you don't want to, like, push them away, because then you'll lose new fans, and then eventually your fandom could die out, you know? Like, nobody wants to get into it because it has this, such a bad reputation, the fans do, you know? Exactly, it becomes a poisonous environment to even be involved. So no one wants to join up anymore. Exactly. I mean, it took me forever to get into, like, Game of Thrones. I didn't watch it until season five was already done. But it doesn't make me any less of a fan. I've gone on to read the books. I've gone on to research characters and join in theory discussions. But it doesn't make me any less of a fan because I waited so long to get into it. But it did make me hesitant to talk to anyone else who was into Game of Thrones until I felt like I was caught up to the community. I know, I felt the same way, because I mean, me and you basically started watching it at the same time. Yeah. So I only really talked about it with you, and then I sh- um, my brother started watching it, so I had him, but like, yeah, I didn't want to talk to anyone that's like been reading the books since they just came out, you know? Like, yeah. I honestly didn't even know Game of Thrones existed until the show, but... Like, I didn't even know there were books and everything. Sorry. You're okay. <laughs> oh, I feel another one coming on. Bless you. Oh, that was a big spike on there. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. You're okay. Alright, so... I think we're heading into the last bit of our podcast. Uh... I think we should start talking about our book recommendations since that's going to be a little bit of a longer segment. Okay. Alright, our book recommendation for this week is going to be 13 Reasons Why by Jay Asher. And uh, for those those wanting to read this, here's a forewarning. It's, it's a very dark and very emotional book. It centers around the topic of suicide. Uh, the plot for the book is that this girl, Hannah, has committed suicide, and she leaves behind a set of tapes documenting the events or reasons leading up to her deciding to commit suicide. And she leaves these tapes for the 13 people on the tapes, and they have to pass in between each other and hear these reasons, and we see it from uh, Clay's perspective, I want to say. Yeah, Clay. And 
it gets very dark. It starts as small things, but it snowballs eventually. And I, I'm pretty sure there's there's date rape, there's uh, molestation, there's uh, there's drinking, there's drugs. It's it's a hard book to read. Yeah, just goes through all of the trials that this poor girl went through. You know, that just basically led up to her not being able to handle it anymore. Exactly, and I, I feel like it's important that they didn't censor it. That it was, it was exactly how it should have been. You know. Yeah, it was just raw emotion. You know, and they. I feel like, like you said, it shouldn't be edited or anything like that. You know, it's mm-hmm. something that happens and it needs to be discussed. Exactly, and that's that's what I really liked about this book is that it doesn't shy away from that. Um, a few quotes um i found uh in the end everything matters she talks about this i think during the first reason is that uh it, it started out as something so small but she's trying to explain that a, a stupid rumor no that's not the reason why she killed herself it's all these things that happened as a result of it and uh there's another another quote that expands on that. It says, I know. I know what you're thinking. I w- as I was telling the story, I was thinking the same thing myself. A kiss? A rumor based on a kiss made you do this to yourself? No. A rumor based on a kiss ruined a memory that I hoped would be special. A rumor based on a kiss started a reputation that people bl- believed in and reacted to. And sometimes a rumor based on a kiss has a snowball effect. A rumor based on a kiss, a kiss is just the beginning.
it's a dark book. It's really hard to, to read, knowing that this is how it feels. And it in no way justifies suicide. It doesn't. It doesn't try to justify suicide. But it definitely brings to light um, people's reactions and uh, the feelings, that, the thoughts that go through people's heads when they're in that situation. And uh, there's actually a point where she tries to reach out for help and people say it's just for attention. That if she meant it, that she would do it. And she does. Yeah, there was even a part at the end where she goes to their guidance counselor and tells them that she is suicidal, but he lets her leave the office without letting her any help because he doesn't take her seriously. Exactly. And she even states, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, during that part, like, this was your chance, this was your last chance. It 
doesn't try and sugarcoat it in any sense of the word. Yeah, we just don't want anyone to look at it and read it and then be triggered in any sort of way because it really doesn't pull any punches towards exactly. the topic at all. We in no way want anyone to read this and feel like it's encouraging it or that it may push you into that kind of uh, mentality. So it, it's mainly just meant to deal with the subject in a realistic way. And it's hard reading the book knowing that she's already dead and that you read it hoping and hoping and hoping that someone will save her, that someone will step up and do something, but you know it's already too late. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes it such a somber book. Like, it does have humorous points. You know, there, there's some very dry humor in it, but it's, it's still very hard to read. But we wanted to stick with the theme of uh, strong female characters in geek culture. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we chose this book, is that even though in the end she did kill herself, she's, she's a very strong protagonist through, through everything she goes through. She really tries to stick it out. Yeah, it's not that she just was like, oh, they started a rumor about me, I better kill myself. You know, she tries to not think the way that she is, but all of these things are just piling up and piling up, and she feels like she can't handle it anymore. Exactly. Yeah, I know, reading the book, the whole time you're just like, oh, come on, you know, like, he'll get to the end of these tapes, and then he can go help her, but there's just, there's no helping her, you know? What's done is done. Exactly. And that's that's kind of what keeps you reading is that you want something good to happen for her you really do but in the end it's just there's nothing you can do the only thing you can do is just exactly what clay's doing is honoring her her last requests and hearing her story yeah just respecting her memory and her last wishes basically exactly so to kind of brighten up for the last of the podcast. Yeah, it's like, okay. (laughs) Our media recommendations, since I ranted for a long time on the book, uh, Alexis, take it away for the media recommendation to try and brighten up the last of this podcast. It's like, yeah, on a brighter note, like, even though that was very important, (laughs) we're gonna try to make sure all of you, you know, aren't sad at the end of the podcast. Our media recommendation for the day is a favorite anime of both of ours, and it is called Oron High School Host Club. Yes. This anime is the cutest. <laughs> and it just, it shows this girl, her name is Haruhi, and she gets this scholarship to go to this really fancy school. But when she gets there, she realizes all of the people there are, you know, rich kids, and they don't care about their education as much as she does. And she tries to find a quiet place to study, and she ends up stumbling into this old music room, but it's been taking over by these guys in their so-called host club. And as soon as she gets in this room, the main person, his name is Tamaki Suo, he is like questioning her, but they all think that she's a boy at first because she's wear- she has real short hair and she's wearing like baggy clothes so you can't really tell and these really thick glasses. <laughs> yeah. And she ends up getting really, really flustered and she knocks over this vase that's worth like it was like millions of yen 
it ends up breaking. <laughs> so she ends up having to work for the host club to uh, to repay the debt of breaking the va- the vase. And I believe that they were going to put it in like some sort of auction to raise money for the host club. So yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> and it's just it's ridiculous. It's a very feel goodsy anime. Uh, when you when you first watch when you watch the first episode, don't let the opening deter you. The opening and closing music is absolutely terrible, and anyone who has ever watched it makes fun of it incessantly. <laughs> but it's it's a great one. Haruhi is an amazing protagonist. Um, people very also, strong female character. Exactly. Um, she's. It's suspected that she's bi. It's also suspected that she's kind of gender fluid because she doesn't care whether people identify her as a guy or a girl. Um, the school kind of goes along with it and lets her identify as a guy in the records. And it's 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 a really really cute show, um, and it does kind of have an underlying romance, but it's always played off as a joke. And it also has our favorite voice actor, both of ours, Vic Mignogna, playing as Tomaki. Little fun fact here. Yeah. <laughs> we actually met him at our very first anime convention, and I got him to sign my copy of Oron. <sighs> I was so excited. He, he signed was... my death note. <laughs> yeah, he saw it, and he was like, Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was like, it's all I have, and he started laughing. <laughs> but yeah, Uron is a very feel-goodsy show. Like, with our with our recommendations this week, we wanted to carry over the, the female protagonist element, but also, you know, unconventional ones. Because both of them are kind of unconventional. <laughs> something cutesy, uh, very upbeat, very humor-filled, uh, yeah, or, it's just a little comedic, place. like, yeah, a little slice-of-life anime, you know? Exactly. Like, it's, it's a good anime, especially if you aren't, like, a huge anime fan, uh, this show was actually made to make fun of other anime tropes, so. <laughs> it is very entertaining. They, they make no disguise of it. They they pull all the stops making fun of the anime tropes. And There's even an episode where they're shooting a movie to try to get publicity for the uh, the host club to make more money. Oh, And gosh. every scene is making fun of, like, a different type of anime. It's hilarious. Oh, it's wonderful. And then uh, they even have a beach episode. Famous in anime tropes, the beach episode. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, every anime has one. It, they really do. I think, <laughs> I want to say the only one that doesn't have one is Full Metal Alchemist. Or Attack on Titan. That's because they're in, in a fucking... <laughs> <laughs> I'm they're not trapped. wrong, Caitlin. <laughs> they're trapped in walls. I'm not wrong, being Caitlin. <laughs> being attacked by cannibalistic humanoids. There's not gonna be a beach episode. It's not a very optimistic anime. (laughs) I mean, maybe if they get past the walls 
and defeat the Titans. <laughs> yeah, I don't have their beach happening. episode at the end. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> Could you imagine how many people are on our planet? Like seven billion? Uh, yeah, it, it's a little over seven billion, I think now. Is it? I think so. Like I, I can't remember the exact number. But like, I'm gonna look that up while you talk because I know that they talked about that in Dear Hank and John recently. Yeah, but like, imagine the whole population is Titans except for like maybe a couple million, you know? And it's just like, how are you gonna defeat all that? There's no way. It's gonna take generations, you know, and ba- better technology than them flying around on ropes, slicing them with knives, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> it's gonna be a little bit more difficult than that but then there's the specialty titans and that's a whole other issue oh, I don't want to spoil the anime for anybody but I mean it gets real crazy real fast <laughs> alright so the, according to google the source at world bank the current population of the earth is 7.125 billion But Worldometers is saying 7.4 billion of 26 as of 2016. Okay, so I mean, close. I mean, it's close, but I want to know why there's a difference. I don't. I think it's just they go by like births today, deaths today. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, probably like averages. Cause I mean, how are they gonna? Like survey everyone on every continent. Like, hey, you alive today? Hey, did anybody die? All right. <laughs> like, <laughs> just I guess different national averages. They just sort of math that up. Yeah. Well, I think we're coming to a uh, a closing point since we're kind of straying off topic. <laughs> I know. I was like, we just went on an entirely different tangent than Oron. And then Oron. Watch Oron. That was the whole point of that rant. Was watch. Uh- Oron. <laughs> Watch the Host Club. It is a brilliant anime, and I'm sure you can find it on any sort of free viewing sites. So mm-hmm. go for it. Yeah, uh, if you if you have a subscription to Funimation, um, great subscription by the way. They have tons of stuff on there, and they always have the English and Japanese dub. Highly recommend the English dub in this case. Uh, brilliant vocal cast, and uh, Funimation is ad-free, so. Yeah. Also, there's a one called Crunchyroll. I haven't used it too terribly much, but I heard that it's good. Uh, just, a, just a note, we are not sponsored by either of those companies. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no sponsors. We are not sponsored at all. <laughs> we have no sponsors. We're, we were just recommendation. just recommendation. Yeah, just trying to help you out unless you just go on, like, ebay or amazon or something and buy it yourself because it's just a one season anime so there's really not that many episodes for you to watch so there's not a huge commitment but it's it's very good so it's a good starter it's a good starter anime this anime deserves like all the seasons though yeah all right so uh our theme music uh for this show is skipping in the no standing zone by peter gresser uh, you can find us on Tumblr at a lack of certainty, as well as on SoundCloud and iTunes, uh, also YouTube, all under the same name, a lack of certainty. You can also email us any suggestions, any comments, concerns, any corrections, if you just want to say hi. Um, 
wearealackofcertainty at gmail.com. And you can listen to us on any of those outlets. Again, we'll be recording on Tuesdays and try to have them out on all of these platforms no later than a Wednesday evening. So. Alright, it's been fun. Alright, it's been fun. Hope to see you guys next week. This has been a lack of certainty.